Hello, and welcome to episode 128 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Wednesday, November 1st, 2023. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? It's great. It's November 1st. I know. I feel like we were just here. We were. We were. So we're both traveling in the upcoming weeks, but consecutively not at the same time. We did not time this well. No. So we are squeezing in, but we have a lot of juicy content. So yeah, surprisingly, yeah, this works. So I was thinking it would be a little short, zippy episode, but uh, apparently not. No, we've been busy for the past week. It happens. Before we get to all of our regular segments on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand, I wanted to ask if you heard the bit on NPR this morning about renaming birds. No. What did you hear? The Ornithological Society of America is going to be renaming all of the birds, that the English names for North America, that are named after people. I... Had a feeling this was coming. Yeah, they had done one a few years ago. It was named after a Confederate general, but now they're just doing all of them. The important point here is that they are taking submissions from the public. This is so tempting. All right. That's why I had to tell you and see if you knew about that. And I couldn't figure out what segment it would go in. So we're talking about it before we start. Oh, the possibilities. Right? So they they said they were going to go for names that reflect the unique characteristics of the bird itself. I once won a contest for color naming, and I feel like I feel like this you need is to... right up my alley. Exactly. <laughs> you need to get in there. Okay, I'll look at it. How fun would it be to paint a bird that you named? Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? So, so cool. So fun. Yeah. Okay. I really appreciate the bird moment. That's a great way to start. Yeah. So on the needles, no bird content here. Upcoming and current events... Today, the pattern for Sarah Shira Imagine Landscapes December Mystery Gnome Knit Along is on sale. The pattern is called Snow Matter What. It'll be a little gnome. December Countdown. So it'll start December 1st. The last clue comes out December 24th. Very tiny knitting. It is not knitting every day. Also, it's important to know, you also usually get a recipe or two, and there's a cute little story. And if you've been thinking about trying a gnome for the first time, this is a good way to do it because it's very low stakes, super fun. Last year, our our gnome had costume changes. No, last year was hat changes. The year before was costume changes. They're just always super delightful. There are yarn kits available as well from a bajillion different dyers if you're interested in that or you can just for the most part you scrap yarn you don't ever need more than 20 grams of yarn you need four colors this year so that pattern is available that gets you all the information you need to get ready for the knit along when it starts december 1st and then december 1st you start getting the patterns and all the other fun information. So that is coming up. And then Knitvent 2023 by Helen Stewart has started. She's been doing this for several years, and I participate off and on, or I don't know if I participate exactly. I buy the patterns and think I'm going to knit something, and then I usually don't until later. This is a series of six patterns. She releases one, one a week for six weeks. The first one came out last Thursday, 
and they are intended for the most part as quick knit Christmas gifts, holiday gifts, whatever, whatever knitting gifting event you might have coming up this winter. The first one is usually a pattern that uses a countdown uh, 24 mini skeins set. So the first one is out. The second one comes out tomorrow. By the time this goes live, there'll be several more that have been released. And they're usually really pretty and fun. And I've made several of them over the years. And so that one is available as well. And you can start knitting on those right now. Uh, as far as actual knitting, I did get some work done on my Vanilla is the New Black Sock by Anna Fletcher in the Knit Picks Felici colorway Beyond the Wall, which is the gray and aqua stripes. My kid was in an opera, so uh, but it was general seating, so we had to get there like half an hour early to make sure we had the good seats. Uh, so there was definitely some knitting time. So I have finished the heel increases or the gusset increases, I guess. No, they're heel increases. I need, I think, one more round and then I have to turn the heel. So I might try and sit down this afternoon and get that done. So then I'll be ready to just knit the foot in the round whenever I have another moment of knitting that I take out of my purse and kill some time. And that might also happen on the plane. Ooh, I'll have to figure out about that. Travel knitting plans. Mm, I haven't really been thinking about that, but I do need to start figuring that out. What I mostly was have been working on is my Diamonds in the Light Socks by Lisa K. Ross, Paper Daisy Creations. The yarn for that is from Candy Skein Creations in the colorway Goonies Grub. And those are done. I did it, folks. This was the one that I needed to finish by Halloween in order to get bonus points for the pigskin party at the Downseller Studio. So yeah, I finished. I focused and knit and it was great. Very exciting. There was a brief moment of panic when I thought, surely this foot is long enough. So I started the the increases and then I realized, nope, I needed to do a whole other repeat. Luckily, I hadn't gotten too far, but it was still, I don't know, five or so rounds that I had to rip back, which was a little upsetting, but obviously it all worked out just fine. So now I'm up to three pairs of Halloween-ish socks which is very exciting and, and I'm, I'm pleased with and I got my bonus points. And now there's there's just this wide open expanse of, of knitting. Knitting possibilities. Exactly. I, I, it's a little bit frightening. I would like that for the easel. I'm kind of envious. It's exciting, but there's so many things that I want to do that it's hard to figure out what exactly I'm going to do. And the Pigskin Party, she has just announced they're going to have a... a points for whips. Usually mm-hmm. all of your projects, if you want to get points, they have to be knit just within the confines of the pig, pigskin party and whips don't count. Mm-hmm. She's giving us two months where they will. You get a limited amount of points, but it's a pretty good amount. So I have some things like my Rome shawl. I could get back to working on that. That is a good travel project. So I will probably work on that during my trip and hopefully I can finish that and then get a little point, couple points for that. I have more socks that I want to knit. There's a a November challenge that's nature themed that I want to do. So I have some some thoughts poking around in my head for that. Of course, I need to start a sweater because it's been a while since I've knit a sweater and I have yarn already wound up. Ooh. However, the the November in Paris, which is the variegated red, it's like red and chocolate and beige, I think. So I'm excited about that possibility. And that one I had been thinking about for a while about what I wanted to do with it. And I may have an, an idea. The 
new Pom Pom magazine just arrived in my mailbox. And the cover photo is very cool. It involves fingering weight yarn held double with two different colors of lace weight, not at the same time. So you knit with fingering and one of the lace weights, and then you hold the lace weight double so you have a stripe of just that color. And then you do it again with the other color of lace weight. So I'm thinking, I'm definitely going to need to swatch for this idea and see if it would work. But I think I have like that super pale pink from my ballerina sweater that might Mm -hmm. work. And I have a burgundy that would almost match, but I think that could work and would kind of tone down some of the variegation. But again, I'm definitely gonna have to swatch and see what I think about that. And sadly, we got an email this morning Pom Pom is going out of business. What? They're closing. They've been doing it for over 10 years now. They're kind of done, I think. I assume there's business reasons as well. But the issue that's going to come out in January, I think, will be their last one, which is sad because they did always have really cool patterns. Really fun patterns. Yeah. But then for the other yarns that I have bumping around, I, (laughs) I got sucked in. All of these dyers are doing monthly birthstone yarns or... The zodiac signs. So Sugar Plum Circus did a Scorpio colorway. There's this amazing dark purple. So I had to buy it. Wait, who did this? Sugar Plum Circus. Ooh, fun. Yeah. So that one arrived. It's beautiful. So now I, it feels like I should knit with it, right? Because it's it's birthday month. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously. So I've been looking for what I want to do with that. And I really want to knit the Ilha by Orlain Sucha. Not entirely sure how to pronounce it. I believe it's a Portuguese name, which is overall a pretty simple sweater, but the yoke has all this kind of florally textured business going on. I have a good bit of yardage, and I feel like that would not use up terribly much of it, but I also really want to knit it, and I don't want to spend all my time looking for a pattern that would use up the perfect amount of yarn, because then I'm just never going to knit. I would like to own this sweater. I think it would be super versatile, and I could wear it all the time. And then I also realized, apparently I'm on a purple kick because I have a sweater's worth of worsted weight yarn that I picked up in New York City in the spring. And that would be a nice quick knit or, you know, more quick anyway. So I've been looking around for various patterns to knit with that. So I found the Voli by Meiju KP, which is the yoke is kind of textured color work because I do, I did buy a single skein of a variegated yarn that has purples. And so there would be crossover. So I don't want to do a, something that needs a lot of contrast, but I think this one would work. But it's in a book. So I'd have to track down the book and the library doesn't seem to have it. So many problems. But then I found Casual by Katrin Schneider, which is very simple, but has a single stripe running through it. So I think that could be kind of cool. And again, wouldn't matter so much that there isn't a huge amount of contrast between my main color and the contrast color. So I'm not sure which one I want to cast on first. Maybe I'll just cast them all on. Do I have needles for that? I don't know. And then I could just see which one I feel like working on and which one takes my fancy. Possibilities are endless. And I've got three weeks now to (laughs) to work on it. So it'll be very exciting to see what happens in the next episode. And that's all on the needles. What is on the easel? Well, today is November 1st. <gasps> it's Quashvember! It's Quashvember, people. Oh my people. gosh. I'm so excited. This is such a great month. And I just want to give a shout out to 
Daria for building this incredible prompt list. Everyone thinks that I somehow created this. I did not create this. I have been a super participant for six years. Daria builds the list every year and I just love gouache and I play along. In the past couple of years, Daria and I have sort of co-hosted the month because I'm just really enthusiastic about it. So Daria built us a list and we are off and running. It starts today. The first prompt is harvest. I am thrilled to do a little daily practice stuff. I'm going to tie this in in my book, my book recap, but the daily practice stuff is kind of tricky now because when we started, we were just painting these interesting objects and now I'm definitely more focused on a full composition and larger scale and my art practice has changed, but there's something very satisfying about being able to dip in and out of gouache vember for this month. And for me, I use it like that's the first thing that I go and paint. So I will work on a prompt, do the sketch and paint it. And it has become my warm up painting for whatever else I'm working on that day. Wow, I have a lot going on. <laughs> I dropped off the rabbit rabbit art show piece. This guy was so tricky. I had been struggling with the composition for a long time, since at least the beginning of September. I really thought that I had it going in the right direction, and in the end, it just didn't work for me. So I, in the past 10 days, completely redid the rabbit piece. While it's not the most favorite thing I've ever painted, but I feel like I needed to paint it. I needed to go through the process. And I'm happy with how it came together. But even now looking at it, there are still tiny things that I would love to tweak. But it is framed and it is up in the gallery over at Faye's video. It is there today through December 10th, so you've got a big time window if you're local and you want to go see a whole bunch, a colony, if you will, of rabbits over at Faye's video. This is hosted by Mike McConnell, who is poopingrabbit. That's his IG handle. It is across from Byright Market, so you can tie it into an errand or go get some ice cream and then walk through Dolores Park. It's right so there. So it's near Del Delfina as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's a bajillion restaurants over there also. So lovely spot. He's he's in a great location. And it has a tiny, beautifully curated little gift shop. There's gorgeous coffee selection and coffee bar. And then in the back, super retro video rental. And it's near Imagine It. And it's near Yarn Imagine store. It. I it's mean, like, it's just so many things. Location, location, location. Okay, that my two other big in the works things, Nathan's painting. You all heard from Nathan last week as he shared with us his very elaborate ground beef cooking process. I think that was a delightful interview with him, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. I am working on a big canvas for him that is a real mashup of different scenes. I'm not telling too much because he wants to be surprised. But I think in a couple weeks, I'll start sharing snippets of it so that people can see where this thing is headed. It's huge. It's 30 by 40 on birch panel. I'm also working on the 2024 calendar. Yay! I had a very rigid theme for this a couple months ago. I've realized that I had a, a too much of a 
prescription for what I was trying to do. And basically, I want it to feature florals. So I have given myself a lot more flexibility. I still have a few more paintings to complete, but I think it's going to come together. This one is a little different in that I'm trying to do a full bleed, so the paint goes all, all the way off the page. Whereas in years past, I had just done an object floating in a white plane. I don't know how that will change things up. It feels like a little bit of a stretch, and so I'm trying it in calendar form. But the real priority is to do interesting floral paintings. And when I was pulling together items for those spot illustrations that go like down on the calendar grid, I need to remember next year going forward that doing the, these little series that I obsess over like dinosaurs or field guides or butterflies, they are all worth they're worth the effort because I find myself with little collections of amphibians or weird things that that are hard to manufacture when there's a deadline. So the things that I'm working on in the interim, in those, in those, like the space that you're in right now, you're not sure what you're going to knit. If I did three or four birds or butterflies, it would just add to the collection of material. And not that they're necessarily calendar bound or anything like that, but there is value in these little smaller series. And I need to remember that for myself. So that's what's been happening on the easel. I don't know what I'm going to take with me because I'm traveling a little bit, but I secretly have worked ahead for Gouache Fember. I'm not totally through my whole trip but I had to be a little bit strategic about it because I want to give my family the time for a visit and not be stressed out about what am I painting today. So keep an eye on Gouache Vember. We have the account now. They will be dual posted, which I know is irritating for people who are following both accounts, but it does make it easier for visibility, accessibility, so if you don't want to follow something, you don't have to. And you can see all of the gouache member stuff in the hashtag, which is very fun to see how everybody responds to a prompt like harvest or cake. And you'll see this collection of really interesting images. So yay, gouache. Go gouache. I do enjoy seeing what people come up with because I'm used to seeing your style. So it's, right. it's always fun to see a whole slew of other people's. So yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to to observing it. Wonderful. On the table, I didn't think I was going to have much to talk about. And then I actually did some cooking. So that was exciting. I pulled out I Dream of Dinner by Ali Slagle again, because again, I may have mentioned my kid was in an opera. And so it was a busy weekend for us and we still needed to eat. But her recipes are usually pretty quick and easy. And so that was what I was looking for. Opening night for my husband and I, because kid was off, you know, doing makeup and whatnot. We had cumin beans with tomatillo, also because I had tomatillos, and I'm very into them for some reason right now. She described this as kind of a, a deconstructed seven-layer dip. It sort of reminded me of nachos without the melty cheese. 
So you slice up the tomatillos and some red onions and sprinkle them with salt. Let them sit and soften a little bit. You make up a quick lime vinaigrette. You heat the black beans and some cumin. And then you just start layering and add sour cream and tortilla chips and whatever else you want. Cilantro, avocado. I think I threw avocado in there as well. You could do some Mexican cheeses. Very versatile. And tomatillos just made a different. And I like them. I like to so, paint them. <laughs> that they, Yeah, they are probably pretty fun to paint. Mm -hmm. So that was good. Super easy. Don't even, I mean, barely need a recipe for that one. Other one I made from I Dream of Dinner is chipotle tomato baked rice. You start off with cherry tomatoes and chopped onions, and you mix the onion with canned chipotle, just one or two, depending on how spicy you want it. And you throw those in a roasting pan or a baking pan with a cinnamon stick and roast them for a little bit till the tomatoes start to get smushy. Add rice and water cover it up, bake it. I mean, so it's your kind of basic baked rice, but the tomatoes and chipotle and the cinnamon, honestly, make it a little different. Shocking. Who thought that I would ever say a thing like that? And then you top it with peanuts and some lime juice. So it's a vaguely Mexican-ish flavor. I mean, it's not Mexican, I don't think, in any way. But, you know, that little spicy smokiness from the chipotle gives it this nice zip. So we enjoyed that. I think I made a kale salad to go with it. And then last night, I was making black bean and butternut squash tacos from Weekday Vegetarians, except that I had acorn squash and not butternut squash, which was fine. And I was pondering what, how to do the acorn squash, because usually I just cut them in half and roast them. So I was sort of looking for ideas of things to do. I ended up just slicing them because um, I thought that would kind of fit in the taco shell. Because you can, you know, the skin is so thin on those. Um, and you mix them with olive oil and smoked paprika and some cumin. So they had a little more taco-y flavor. No one actually ended up putting them in the taco shells, which is fine. They were still delicious. Husband very much enjoyed the spice mixture on that. For the kid, he had soccer tryouts. So I wanted him to have a little more meat protein because that's how he feels best. But I was trying to do something different something that would kind of go with the black bean and the squash so that I could do a combo of all of them. And I was kind of inspired by you and went with some ground turkey. Most of the recipes that I was finding were basically just pretending that you're using ground beef and doing your kind of 70s taco mix. And I wanted to do something a little different just so that it wouldn't feel like what I was traditionally doing because there was, because <laughs> I hadn't really fully thought this out. So like I did have sour cream, but I didn't have avocado. I didn't have guacamole. I didn't even have limes. I couldn't find the limes at Trader Joe's yesterday. It was the strangest thing. I'm sure they were somewhere. I barely had cheese. So I just wanted it to feel different enough that he wasn't going to feel sad that we weren't having our usual tacos that we're used to. So Martha Stewart had a recipe that used a little bit of tomato paste and chipotle. And I didn't have any more chipotle, but I did have some chipotle powder. So it worked out really well. It, so it was more of a, a red flavor. I don't know, does that make sense? I like anyway, the, it I'm felt a it, little more umami. Yes. So I liked that. And then uh, it, it worked out. It worked out okay. So America's Test Kitchen mm -hmm. has a great tip for turkey tacos in their family cookbook. 
I don't know, I have two or three of their their volumes. What they recommend is you you brown off three quarters of however much turkey you're going to do and you save out a quarter of your meat and add it in after your seasonings, you know, to give it enough time to cook, of course. The flavor of the meat releases really quickly with with poultry. And if you add it at the end, a little bit at the end, it's like, you know, when you make chicken stock from a chicken carcass or whatever, mm-hmm. and they recommend that you add in a couple fresh chicken wings or something like that, just of, as a flavor boost to it. Hmm. It's that same theory, I think. So you're tasting more of the poultry and mm-hmm. you know that it's poultry and not beef. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. It's kind okay. of, it's a good tip. And I do like adding um, the tomato paste to it because I think turkey and chicken benefit from some depth of flavor. They need a little bit more depth. Yes. When they're cooked in that fashion. Yeah. So. And it also felt a little brighter. Usually I'm just using spices and with the beef, it's pretty dark. So yeah. So I was pleased to have a little bit left over. I have some for lunch. We did make it through the beans. Yeah. It was a, it was a good little, good little evening. Nice. I didn't do near as much cooking as you did, but I did have a couple. I had a crazy idea. So I have been making a yellow curried chicken. I made one a couple weeks ago that called for potatoes, and I felt like I overcooked it a little bit. You didn't overcook it. The kid was late. The kid was late, but it was overcooked. So this time I made it with, instead of chicken breast, I made it with ground chicken so that it'd be quicker in the pot. And then instead of using potatoes, and this is my, I'm sure people will have a problem with this, but like bring it. I made it with pumpkin gnocchi. Oh, fun. Uh Uh-huh. It was so good. (laughs) I like it. Uh Uh-huh. Because the gnocchi absorbed the curry flavor really well. The pumpkin, pumpkin and curry goes great. It's just, you know, I'm taking... That's some serious fusion. <laughs> it is some serious fusion. And I I have been seeing things on the internets about cultural appropriation. This is Courtney trying to use the ingredients in her fridge. But it totally worked. And it totally worked, I should say. Really successful. I used um, actually a red pepper curry that I just had on hand from... Thai Kitchen, the Thai Kitchen brand, and I augmented with some yellow curry powder, and I did add some red pepper flake to it to give it that little kick, and then I added peas because I was just, I was really looking to use materials from the fridge. I mean, I feel like peas in curry is pretty classic as well. It is, and the gnocchi was enough of the carbohydrate so that I didn't feel like I had to make rice. Basically, this was super fast. And that was a huge win. And I just, when I was done cooking it, I just turned it off. I didn't let it simmer or anything because I didn't want, I didn't want it to sit there. And then when the kid came in, he reheated it and it was delightful. So kind of a cheat, weird thing, but it made sense in my head and it really worked out on the plate. And that is my big win of the week. I also made a batch of peanut butter pan banged chocolate chip cookies. Pe- 
peanut butter chocolate chip pan banged cookies from 100 cookies. Still great, still delightful, still use the dull side of the tin foil and they just slide right off. Mm. Really easy recipe. It only, it makes like a, not a gigantic batch, which was good because it's just three of us at the house now. And that was fun. And then I had a moment, I'm traveling starting tomorrow, and I, although I'll be back by the time anybody hears this, I do want to schedule myself a day of kitchen maintenance. And I have said this, I think, in the fall before, in, in fall time in previous years, that it is definitely time to look at all of the staples, tidy up the cupboards, make space, if you will, for the holiday stuff. And this seems like a good time to take stock, clear the deck a little bit, buy some fresh spices. I also have this chai masala recipe that I want to make, and I really feel like it would be better if I bought all fresh spices for that. And your mentioning of cinnamon stick made me think of it. So that's something I think I'll tackle when I'm back and I have a quieter day. I don't know when that would possibly be. Uh, maybe the day after Thanksgiving, although we're going to podcast then. I think so, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. But in case other people need a gentle reminder, it might be a good thing to do. I don't know. Maybe your kitchen is super tidy and neat and you know where everything is. I do not function that way. Yeah, I just did a pantry clean out. It's not even completely done, but I was just looking at things going, how old is this can? Like, how long has it been in here? I need to pull some things out. Yeah. So it's a little bit better, but it definitely could use another going over as well. I just, I don't want to be a crazy lady in the middle of the holidays doing this. I think I would be better served to do, to carve out time, like a half day. I think I could do it in a half day. Sure. Yeah. If you, I mean, yeah, if you focused on it, if you gave yourself that time, then you could make it happen. Half day to clear it out and then a replenishment shop and yeah. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Before we move on to our next segment, there was another NPR thing. I have carpool this week, so I actually hear (laughs) stuff on NPR because I listened to it on the way back uh, from dropping the kids off. There's no parking at their school, so we have to take them. There's a New York Times book critic has a new book out and it's about eating and reading and reading about eating and eating while reading. Mm -hmm. And so they were talking about it and apparently people are very against eating while reading. Okay. Your look tells me that we feel the same about this. Who's against reading ever? I know, right? I do it all the time. If I'm eating breakfast and I'm nothing else, I'm going to read the cereal box kind of person. So I thought this was interesting. I guess the idea is that it's mindless eating and you're not paying attention. So I could see, yes, if you have a bag of chips and you're reading your book and you're just eating from the bag of chips, that would be bad. And if I'm at like a Michelin starred restaurant, I'm going to enjoy the food. I'm not going to pull my book out. However, you can put your chips in a bowl and have a serving and then you can read all you want. So I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, I know. I don't eat in bed, so I'm not. But that's just my own. I don't want crumbs in my bed. Fair. But I will absolutely cut up some Asian pears and sit down with a book for 25 minutes or whatever. When it's some fraction of the family, like if two of us are having dinner, 
we will totally read side by side at a table. Oh, interesting. I won't usually do that. Definitely if it's just me for lunch or whatever, I'll make my lunch and then I'll go read my, like, it's a way to sneak in some reading time. I don't, yeah. I'm not going to give that up so I can taste my leftovers. I experienced them ideally the night before. We are a reading household, I guess. Yeah. People were also concerned about getting spots of food on their books. I guess I'm a clean eater. I know. <laughs> what do you people do? Although, like, if you're having pasta and you might drip sauce and it splashes yeah. so, but it generally, I can live with that. It, and it's not, I mean, it's occasionally. I, I'm not going to give up reading because I might get a, a spot of food right. on my. That's an, interest, it's an yeah, interesting. Yeah, so it thought. was it was interesting. And I kind of want to read the book now to see what else he has to talk about. I see solo people reading in coffee shops and restaurants yeah. all the time. Yeah. So ultimately, I think this falls under the category of you do you. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't realize it was a thing you could be against, but I thought that was interesting. Well, all you have to do is post something on the internet and everyone yeah. will find a problem with it. That is a good point. On the nightstand, I have been reading. Shocking. I know. Kinsey Update, S is for Silence by Sue Grafton, which I listened to. She is back to doing a cold case. 34 years ago, Violet Sullivan disappeared on the 4th of July. She and her brand new car and her puppy dog and possibly $50,000 vanished. Never seen again. She left behind an abusive husband and a seven-year-old daughter. And the daughter is now grown up and has come to ask Kinsey to look into it. She's never really gotten over it. She would just like to know where her mother is. So Kinsey starts looking into it, and off we go. Did I enjoy it? I enjoyed it. No, I like this one. I'm trying to think. This one was interesting. A little bit, I didn't enjoy it because I felt like we just did the long time ago missing woman case. And as characters, they were kind of similar wild women which I guess makes sense if you don't know if she left or if she's dead. She's got to have the kind of personality. And this was like 1953. The other one was the late 60s. So if you're not a wild woman, people would not think that you had left. So it kind of makes sense. This one was interesting because it had lots of flashbacks to from the point of view of the people that were around at the time. So not just Kinsey's point of view. So we actually knew more of what was going on than Kinsey did at some times, which made it interesting. But yeah, this one, she was kind of back in the driver's seat. So that was good. Kind of dark and scary ending, but it all turned out okay. And and we will be on to tea in, uh, I assume, the next episode. I have it. <laughs> I have it checked out. It's always sort of interesting because sometimes they are available and sometimes there's a little bit of a wait and I never know which one it's going to be. I think tea was available. Yes, I had to wait for that is always exciting. And then another audiobook that I well, <laughs> that I listened to is Sleeping Giants by Sylvain Nouvelle. Did you read this one? No. Uh, this was weird. Reading this one, I kept or listening to it, I kept thinking someone has told me about this before. It's not I it's not that I have read it, I'm pretty sure. I think maybe I've just read something similar or somebody read something similar. I'm not sure. Maybe I just read the preview beforehand. Anyway. When Rose is a little girl, she's out riding her bike and she falls into a giant hole. And when they find her, she is lying in a giant metal hand. Army comes in, takes control of the hand. Nobody hears about it again. She is now grown up and she's a physicist. The army is releasing control of the hand and or partially they would like to 
have bring the scientists back in and study it some more. And so she is part of that. They bring in an army pilot and a couple of army pilots and uh, things start happening. They fi- start finding more of these pieces. They think it's alien technology. So they're trying to figure out where all the pieces are, what it is, how it works. They've got a translator who comes in. They're putting it all together. There's drama, there's adventure. And then I pulled a Courtney and I realized, wait a minute, there's only six minutes left and we're not at a really, (laughs) there's like gotta be more to this story. And yep, there's two more books. So it wasn't a complete cliffhanger. It kind of, it brought it to a decent ending, but then they threw a cliffhanger at the end. So it was good. And the audio was well done. They had different actors for the most of the different characters, which is always very helpful. It's kind of creepy. There's a, an interviewer. So it's all set up as interview documents from somebody's files about this. And you never know who the interviewer is. He never has a name. They never say exactly who he works for. So it's very... And then there's this mysterious older man who comes in who seems to know random things. There were definitely some twists and turns that I did not expect. It was... uh, Yeah. So it was... It was very interesting... And I've got uh, the second one queued up. So we'll see what happens with that. And then I read a little romance, The Cheat Sheet by Sarah Adams. Bree and Nathan have been best friends since high school. He is now uh, an NFL quarterback. He's taking his team to the Super Bowl. He's trying for a second one. Super famous and hot. Brie was on track to be a ballerina and study at Juilliard when she was in a car crash. And so now she is running her own dance studio where the tuition is on a sliding scale so she can help mostly inner city girls pursue their their dance dreams. And they continue to be friends. Then there's some shenanigans. And for publicity reasons, they have to pretend to be dating. The issue here is that both of them have been in love with the other one since high school and have never said because they think the other one is not interested in them and they don't want to ruin their friendship even though everyone around them keeps saying they're totally into you so we had two tropes two romance tropes in this one which was kind of a bonus it's very sweet nathan's football teammates slash buddies are very Ted Lasso positive masculinity, (laughs) which is nice. Also reminds me of the Bromance Book Club series, which is also very sweet. It switches back and forth between Brie and Nathan's viewpoints. Occasionally, it's a little too much, like staring longingly at the other person without them trying to notice, or they'll have something that just doesn't make sense. Like the fact that a a ballerina would be amazed that another woman could walk in five-inch heels. Like, lady, you walk on your toes. I'm not sure why you think that's impressive. So it wasn't my most his favorite, but there was some really beautiful writing. I also always like, you know, some lifestyles of the rich and famous scenes going on. They get to go to glamorous parties. You know, they, they, they do make it to the Super Bowl. I won't say how it ends. But then they had the Super Bowl end at 1030 in Vegas. No, that's not how it works. At night? At night, right? Because they have to have it on East Coast time. It never ends. We're on the West Coast. It never goes that late. Right. Anyway, that just like, so little things like that don't actually make any difference to the story, but they kind of take you out of the reality of it. But it was super sweet. It's closed door, except for all the longing looks. There's a lot of kissing. It was nice. They were both really sweet characters. 
Then I read What You Are Looking For is in the Library by Michiko Ayoma, translated by Allison Watts. This was recommended because it is a very similar to Before the Coffee Gets Cold, which is another Japanese book, the time travel coffee shop, which I really enjoyed. And this is definitely very similar vibes, except that it's in a library and people are at kind of a crossroads in their life and they go to the library looking for a book and they ask the reference librarian for help. And she gives them books that obviously relate to whatever their quest is, but also gives them some random other book that changes their life for the better. So again, very sweet. I think we had five different little interconnected short stories. The librarian is also a felter. So she makes little little objects doing felting. So that was, you know, always love to see the fiber arts in there. And they were all nice little stories. They end up kind of connecting the people because it's a local neighborhood library. You have to live in the, the section of Tokyo to be allowed to go there. So people end up making connections across the the stories, which is always fun. It was really sweet. The librarian herself was sort of weird, and I didn't understand why she was described the way she was, but she gave good advice and good books, and I enjoyed that. And apparently there's a fourth Before the Coffee Gets Cold coming out, so I might have to check that out as well. And I recommend that one still, also. And then finally, The Fraud by Sadie Smith. This is our dual review. Which I still think is really funny that we're both rooting it at the same time. We did not plan this. No, I think we just both got on the library list and they they, yeah. they got the books in and sent them out. All right. So I, Courtney's making me do the, the summary of making. <laughs> making, not making. This one is tricky. There is a lot of stuff going on in this book and I'm trying to figure out what you need to know about. It is all based on real people, I think is something that is Every important. Every person in it. Is which was a historical figure. Amazing. I did not realize that. I knew some of them were because like Charles Dickens appears and Thackeray and obviously I knew those people were, but yeah, the whole thing. Okay. So it's the story of Eliza Touche, who is living with her cousin, William Ainsworth, who is a author. Her cousin by marriage. So her, her husband who she's a widow and her cousin took her in when her husband died as a housekeeper and she's a little bit older than he is. Yes. Not terrible. Yeah. Just like six years. Yeah. So his wife has died as well. He has three daughters. So she's basically raised the girls, been his housekeeper for 40 years, hosted all of his literary dinner parties. And now it's towards the end of both of their life. They're both in like their 60s and 70s, I think. William's literary career has gone consistently downwards along with their standard of living. So they're still working on working out that. But then this trial happens. And this is an actual trial in England. Roger Tichborne allegedly died when he was 20 years old in a shipwreck. And it's now many years later and a man has shown up back in England saying, hey, actually, I'm him. And so there was a whole huge trial because there was an inheritance and a title at stake. And it just apparently captured the imagination of the general public. People were absolutely convinced that it was him. People were absolutely convinced that it wasn't. So you're getting the story of the trial. You're getting the story of Eliza and William. And you go back and forth in time to when Eliza was first married and first living with the Ainsworths. And you get the backstory of some of the people who were involved in the trial. And then Eliza is talking with people and 
through their whole lives and there is so much packed into this i don't even know what to focus on there's a character who is the star witness for this trial andrew bogle and he is is he mixed race i think i think he's mixed race he was his father was white and his mother was jamaican and as he is a star witness in the trial Zadie Smith is also taking us back in time to his early days on a Jamaican sugar plantation and what that was like. So you're getting you're getting British aristocracy in London. You're getting plantation life in Jamaica in like the 1850s. You're getting literary delights of Charles Dickens and Thackeray hobnobbing with Ainsworth and Eliza witnessing all of this many many layers and all of it points to who is showing up and being authentic who is their most authentic self the fiction writers are trying to convince you of one thing well 11 things Bogle is you know one of the most authentic characters arguably and he is trying to be a star witness for maybe the biggest fraud of them all. It's just the all of these layers. Of, and yet, do we entirely trust what he's saying? Right. And then, yeah. Because he's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, really. It's so... I was very disappointed in myself for taking so long to read this, but I really feel like the absorption was... It, it's it's not like you can slurp this book down. It does take some work to read through mm. it and figure out where all of these characters stand. It is also very funny. It's like funny British humor. And that is never lost like throughout the whole book. And I really appreciated that. I mean, Eliza had a fling with Aunt well, with Ainsworth and Ainsworth's wife. She was a fascinating character. She is such a great character. And I did listen to an interview with Zadie Smith and she was looking all, like we said, all of these people are real. And she was looking at like shipping manifests and slave manifests and then looking at documents from that time, either letters of Charles Dickens or who he was hanging around with. And then since census documents about who was living in different households. And there is one of the most important first edition Charles Dickens has is like signed. It's Christmas Carol, isn't it? Yeah. It's signed to Eliza Touche. It's like has her name on it. And then she's buried in the same cemetery as the Dickens or the, um, the Ainsworths and how there's, there's so much, it's so rich and I, I'm with you that I'm not sure how to, this is your introduction to the fraud. <laughs> yeah, you just, I think you just need to read it. I, I agree with you that there's so much, and I probably did read it too quickly. I would love to go back and read it again, because there is so much and you just keep coming across other where she's maybe summing up a point. And you're like, oh, wait, how did we get here? Because that's fascinating. And I love what she's doing with that, especially at the end. She's really tying a lot of threads together. And Eliza is a character because she is a white woman in England of a certain class, has limitations, but doesn't realize other limitations. I mean, she was just really interesting. There is also 
in relation to the Tichborn case, there's a lot of politics that are not so subtle nods to current day politics. But I believe at the time, this case was like the reality TV of London. And it dragged on for months and months. It's it's still, I think, to this day, the longest lasting case in British history. That's saying something. But Eliza's summation of it, you know, how lawyers would just weeks of testimonies that had absolutely nothing to do with the case. I loved her encapsulation of it. And she was working on her own novel about the case or writing about the case, I still haven't done a deep dive into the actual case and what it did for the British public during that time. Mm -hmm. But like we said, this is a buffet of a novel. There is a lot here. So find your way to it and tuck in. And it's, it's a meaty, it's a meaty tome. Yes. Give yourself some time. And that's all my books. How about you? Okay. Anything else? Well, I did finish The Fraud, which gold star. Absolutely. But I was five days late returning into the library, so mea culpa. I think that's okay, because if you had returned it, and then, because then they would have to send it to someone else, and then they'd have to send it to you, and that's just money that... Yeah, this this is a greener option for me to just keep it a little extra. Exactly. My only other completed book is this little collection of essays called The Book of Delights by Ross Gay. Roske decided he was going to write an essay a day for a year based on topics or things that he came across that delighted him. And it kind of reminded me of a 100-day project I did at the beginning of COVID, where I was going to find 100 joyful things. That may bear repeating, because Roske has a new, more, more, a book of more delights or something like that that's landing right now. My big takeaway And these are everything from visiting friends to more complex delights in systems and things that he's he's really paying attention to his world. It quickly goes from a daily process to a more curated effort. This is where I wanted to tie it back to gouache Fember in a way. I think that his process was to show up in the studio and think about a delightful thing and work on an essay not necessarily finish it in a day. And I love the idea that your process can be daily, but your product doesn't need to be, that you can stretch things out and take your time with it and make something that fully encapsulates your vision. That was my big impression from his book. And I'm really excited to read the second one and see how he continues the process and what else he finds delightful because I'm here for delightfulness. And then I went to the National Kidney Foundation Authors Lunch this past weekend. I spoke about this last year and I had only witnessed it over Zoom and this version in person was far superior for several reasons. I got to meet some really interesting people. We got to hear the authors on stage talk about a little bit about their process. It sort of ran the gambit, but it's really fun to hear authors speak. I took notes while I was there. So this year we had five authors, 
two of them are co-writers of a children's graphic novel. That's Mac Barnett and Sean Harris. And they did a series called The First Cat in Space Ate Pizza and Soup of Doom. They've been friends since age six. And then they did, instead of being interviewed by Michael Krasny, they did a skit where they they filmed the comic book, but read it out loud on stage. And they did all the voices and sound effects and everything. And that was very delightful way to end. But they didn't really talk about their process very much. Then we had three other authors, Lauren Groff, (gasps) Anita Gale Jones, and Lee Child. Wow. So I got to say, I was very excited because I read a lot of Lauren Groff, and my husband was excited because he reads everything Lee Child. And I had never heard of Anita Gale Jones because this was her debut novel. Oh, okay. I feel better now. Yeah. So I would like to tell you briefly, nutshell, of each of their talks. Lauren Groff has a new novel out called The Vaster Wilds. She accessed this book within her because she was reading an article in like a historical magazine at the doctor's office. And it was about Jamestown, the Jamestown colony. It was about the starvation at that time. And it got her thinking about, like, what if there was a a female Robinson Crusoe character who was in that scenario? And it talks about the geology of this new world and foraging for food when you're unaccustomed to that lifestyle. She pointed towards Emily Dickinson being like a real source of inspiration to get into this character's Robinson Crusoe and Emily Dickinson for this character. I'm super excited to read this book. It was really good. I can't wait. Anita Gale Jones wrote a book called The Peach Seed. And this started with a question that she couldn't ask her dad because her dad has passed. She really wanted to know how he and his peers managed to be leaders at a time when the government considered them less than human. Really difficult question. And she was trying to give rise to the Black American male voice. So this book is based on her dad. It's rich in civil rights and social engagement and the history of slavery. Is it fiction? Yes. Okay. It tries to confront the myths of manhood. Her influences, I love when they talk about their influences, of course, She was very influenced by Toni Morrison, Hurston, Eudora Welty, Alice Walker, and Tayari Jones. That was a great list. And then came Lee Child. And he was way chattier than everyone else. Although he had just been on Michael Krasny's podcast, so they had worked out all of the kinks in their interview. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how he's retiring So he has written this entire Jack Reacher franchise. He told us the story how he has a lot of trouble naming characters and how he came up with the name Jack Reacher. Hysterical. It's in his Wikipedia page if you're curious. He felt, though, that when he was done with the series, he needed to just step aside because he didn't want it to get tired or let his readers down for a while he thought about killing off jack reacher and the whole audience did that was like (gasps) and then he said be bold 
Yeah. And then he said, and then I thought I'd put him back into like the, one of the early books, like a great place and let him buy a dog and build the house. And everybody was like, ah, <laughs> and he was like, yeah, unsatisfying. Right. You know? So what he decided to do was share the rights with his brother, who's 15 years younger. And so they wrote four books together. This is the last of the four, the one that just came out. And now his brother is going to take over the franchise. Ah, okay. And their last name is not Child. The naming conventions with this family crack me up. Again, check his Wikipedia page for that. My favorite part of the Lee Child interview was that he based Jack Reacher on the David versus Goliath myth. He wanted Goliath to win. And so he was trying to imagine a world where Goliath could be the good guy mm -hmm. and would persevere. He's like, isn't it really satisfying? You know, if you see somebody hit a woman or a child and you want justice for that woman or that child. And then along comes Jack Reacher and administers street justice. That's very satisfying. <laughs> he was kind of funny, I have to admit. So it was an awesome luncheon. We got one copy of each of their four books, which so was nice. so cool. Oh, so you have the Lauren Groff now. I have the Lauren Groff. Don't I have to wait have for the, the Lee library. Child. Do anybody want to fight me for it? I think my husband took it. I was going to say, I feel yeah. like my husband took gone. it on a flight this morning. I'm really excited to read the Anita Gale Jones and tell everyone about that. Yeah. I'm trying to decide which nephew gets the the Mac Burnett and Sean Harris Soup of Doom. <laughs> That's an excellent title. So thanks for indulging me there. It was it's a super worthwhile fundraiser. It pays for people to give a living or altruistic kidney donation so that there can be they're saving lives, basically. So it was really wonderful and I think kind of the best the best type of fundraiser for someone like me who's a complete bibliophile. Excellent. Okay, so it's sort of, well, it's not confusing for you guys. It's confusing our heads because we haven't even come out with episode 127. And so this one will be coming out two weeks from now as well. After all our travels, we'll both be back. And then, uh, then in our next episode after this one will be the gift episode and you will have three weeks of content, so get ready for a chunky, chunky episode, people. And if you have any ideas, things that you'd like to suggest for the gift episode that relate to any of the segments, crafting, cooking, or reading, uh, let us know on any of the platforms. Yeah, if you have a favorite art supply and you haven't told me about it, I'm going to be really upset <laughs> with you. <laughs> but you'll still be excited to hear about it. Right. <laughs> and very nice. Otherwise, until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Hello, and welcome to episode 128 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. <laughs> and I'm Courtney. I almost forgot my name for a second there. <laughs> you know, it's happened to me before. All right. I'm going to throw this at the end and let's start over. Okay. Start. You don't need the silence. We did that. I know, but I was just trying to leave this myself a spot so I knew where it would be, but now I okay. can't remember how we start. Hello, right? Yeah, okay. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or Courtney SF at C O R T N E Y S F. 
On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.